Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. There are concerns about whether all of them can be sent back, but I think all of them who can be should be reunited with their families. And just as Vice President Biden is arguing today in Central America, we've got to do more. I started this when I was secretary to deal with the violence in this region, to deal with border security. But we have to send a clear message just because your child gets across the border, that doesn't mean the child gets to stay. So we don't want to send a message that is contrary to uh, our laws or will encourage more children to make that dangerous journey. Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Guess what? It's Tuesday. It's another day for us to listen to audio and understand that everyone who holds a position right now may or may not have ever held that position in the past, and it could be the recent past. That's not Hillary Clinton from 20 years ago. She said Pre- Vice President Joe Biden, so that gives you a clue. She was speaking Uh, just three short years ago about the fact that people who approach this country illegally and come in through the border, whether they have children or not, are not automatically going to be permitted to stay here. So so you're probably wondering, well, what's changed? Nothing. Nothing's changed. The law hasn't changed. The makeup of Congress hasn't changed. The uh, approach from the migrants who are trying to gain access to the country, that's changed a little bit in that more of them are coming. They feel emboldened. They feel that there is no possible way that U.S. law will permit them to be denied asylum requests. And so that's why they're coming. And that's why the increase is 600% more illegal entrants who are bringing children who are more often than not, not related to them at all. Children that they've just picked up along the way, children who will be used again and again to get entry into the United States for the adults that they come in with. Does that sound like a situation that, The United States should support? No, it doesn't. And so if you take the emotionality out of it and take the rhetoric out of it and just launch into what is this, you it's it's a much different picture than is being painted by those who have an agenda. So welcome to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right. It's American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk are the sites, the syndicators, the the the, they're our home. That's home for us. And we're so excited to be with you. Uh, what we have going on right now is uh, we're going to talk to David French in hour one of the program. And then we have Joseph Teratovsky. He's going to be on with us to discuss um, his book, The Lives of the Constitution, 10 Exceptional Minds That Shaped America's Supreme Law. That's going to be a fascinating interview in hour two. Right now, we're going to get back into what is a story that really it has legs. It's moving. Uh, it's fluid. It's a story that the media wants to keep before us because this distracts away from the accomplishment of so many of the different promises that were made by Donald Trump when he was candidate Trump and that IG report, which is really inconvenient. Like if you want to compare it to, you know, clothing mishap for a woman, it's the equivalent of having your slip showing all day or having a piece of toilet paper stuck to your shoe all day long. And nobody tells you, hey, look, you've got toilet paper stuck to your shoe and going before really important people, job interviews, all kinds of stuff that you would not want to have toilet paper stuck to your shoe and it's there all day long and no one says a word. Or having a huge piece of spinach from your healthy lunchtime salad stuck to your teeth during the job interview of your lifetime where you're going out for that that one big thing that you've been praying for your whole life. That's the equivalent of what's happening to the Democrats right now as they see not just the Russia collusion investigation falling apart before their very eyes, but they're also seeing a man who they have 
effectively demonized as someone that Americans can't even stand to be in the same room with, coming out of the gate, working uphill, upstream, against the grain, everything arrayed against him, and he's succeeding. And, you know, if you're not a fan of Donald Trump, this isn't about whether or not you like him. It's about whether or not you want him to do things that would make your life easier, to get the government out of the way so your life could be easier. And if that's the case, if you really just care about how things go for you day to day, because I don't know about you, but I've never met the president and I also have never actually uh, had like, so if he's doing something at the White House or he's golfing or he's doing whatever, it doesn't really impact me. I don't have to read the emails from the press corps when they update me on where he is and what he's doing. I can let them sit or I can read them or I can delete them without reading them. I don't have to turn on the news. If I wanted to, I could completely insulate myself from anything having to do with the president. But those taxes aren't going to leave me alone. Those regulations that impact my business aren't going to leave me alone. And the things that people are doing activist-wise in public schools and private schools and with the roads and bridges and my local taxes and the taxes on my gas and the taxes are, or lack of taxes on my food, the taxes on my online purchases, that's the stuff that I can't really get away from. You cannot escape government. You can certainly escape President Trump. When you put it in perspective, you really come to an understanding that whether or not you like our president, he's the president, and what he's doing is of much more importance than what he says, what he tweets, or whether or not you like him. So now I want to listen to this Border Patrol agent. He's talking about the processing of these migrants. And this is not someone who's ever been on TV before. He's not famous. He's not a pundit. He doesn't play one on TV. This is just an average rank and file employee who is explaining this process that these people are going through. He has no agenda other than to set the record straight. It's number two. If you're encountered, and you will be, you're going to be arrested, you're taken to a Border Patrol station, and you're processed. If while in Border Patrol custody, if those children are, if you can prove those children are associated with that family, and there's a lot of child smuggling, there's a lot of smugglers that actually use children as a tool to get people into the country, just meaning the child's not necessarily being smuggled, they recycle the kids to different families, there's no, there's no family relation, we have to figure all that out. If there's, any, if there's any suspicion that they're not really truly related to those people, then they will be separated for their own safety. If we believe they're, they're, they're uh, part of an actual family group, when we process them in our facilities, they stay together. So did you hear that? So first of all, he's not there representing any political party. He doesn't get paid by any group of individuals for that appearance. He's not going to put that up on his blog later. He's not going to you know, send that television hit out to an email list of, you know, 80 or 90,000 people. He's just explaining what he does every day at his work. Now, here's why I find that to be so credible. Because you and I all know that there have been occasions, everyone has been through this, where in the course of doing your work, someone has misunderstood something you're doing and they've said, I don't know why you're doing that. And they throw an, an accusation at you. You're doing that because... And that's based on what they know, which might be a thimble full of information, or it might be a vast ocean. And they toss that out your way. And then all you're left with is you can choose to defend yourself or you can choose to let it roll off your back and hope it doesn't impact your, your performance, your job, your rating, what have you, your reputation. So when these Border Patrol agents come out and they talk about what they're doing, there really isn't any reason for us as Americans not to believe what they're saying 
unless we find out that they've been lying, covering something up, engaging in some kind of nefarious behavior. Right now, we don't have any reason to believe anything like that. And so my, 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 my real goal with all of this is obviously I have a position on this. I have an opinion. I have a belief in what should happen with the migrants, with the children, et cetera, et cetera. Because we're talking about about half a million of them, uh, roughly 600,000 of them have been released into the interior of the United States and not even 10% of them show up for their court dates. So effectively, during the Obama administration, he increased the population of the United States by 600,000 people by simply catching the people at the border and releasing them if they showed up with children. Those people now live in this country and are receiving benefits. They are a part of that $139 billion a year that we as taxpayers spend on illegal immigration. And by the way, my $139 billion figure has just been blown out of the water by Brigitte Gabriel, who just issued a report. I'm on the list. I get the little emails. She's issued a report with updated findings. Her tally is at $338 billion a year that we spend on illegal immigration, encompassing all of the services and things that we provide to people who are citizens who also these same things are provided to those who are not citizens who are in the country illegally. Now, if that number doesn't bother you, if that's not a problem for you, okay. I mean, I can't tell you how to feel. But for those of us who do see that number as a problem, who are burdened by that, who I I see homeless veterans on the side of the road here in St. Louis and they're begging for money at the overpasses. And when you stop and you hand them a $20 bill, you know, one of the little, uh, you know, baggies with, you know, house, it's got toiletries and stuff in it and, and a protein bar and all of that. And, you know, sometimes you say a prayer with them, but why aren't our tax dollars taking care of them? Imagine what we could do for veterans with $139 billion a year as a line item in our budgets, state budget, just take that 139, divide it by 50 states or divide it per veteran and build these guys some small homes, a small one bedroom efficiency house, a tiny house, you know, build these guys uh, a community where they can stay, where maybe they have common areas, kind of like the dorms that they lived in when they were on active duty. Uh, you know, put some counseling services nearby so they can start doing some group therapy and getting past the horrors that they saw when they were out in the sand, protecting and serving the Constitution of the United States. You know, I got to say, if you're that torn up about the kids, but you don't have any sympathy for the veterans who have literally left their limbs in the sand of the Middle East, protecting this country. Well, your priorities are just all wrong. My opinion, don't get mad. I'm allowed, you know, that's how I feel. So if, if, if you want to be taken seriously on this and you really believe something wrong is happening at the border, then you have to admit that we need to deter people. We need to disincentivize people crossing our border illegally by sealing our border to make sure that children aren't used as pawns, sexually assaulted, trafficked into slavery and killed along the way uh, to serve the ends of adults who clearly have a culture that is completely debauched and, and run into the ground, where they would use tiny, defenseless, innocent children as a meal ticket to get them into the United States. See, that's where people are going to get mad. Oh, you can't say their culture is, yes, I can. I just said it. Now what? There's no law against telling the truth about different cultures. And that's their truth until they stop doing that. So we, we have 
more data from Secretary Kirsten Nielsen. And she has just been a rock over these past couple of days. Yesterday's press conference with her, uh, part of it was during the show. I watched it afterwards. I could not believe how effective she was at that podium answering the questions. Unflappable. They attacked her with the rudeness and unprofessionalism that was just absolutely, it was outside the pale. Imagine a liberal woman standing there and being assaulted verbally the way Kirsten Nielsen and Sarah Huckabee Sanders were yesterday from the podium by a bunch of Republican men. You can't imagine it, can you? Because it's never happened. And if it did, those Republican men would be run out of office before the end of the day. They would be, we need your resignation. Which, by the way, Senator from California, ultra-liberal Kamala Harris, has called for Kirsten Nielsen to resign her position because of human rights atrocities. I, I call on Kirsten Nielsen, Secretary of DHS, to stand firm, hold the line. She's doing a good job, and regular Americans who have their heads screwed on tight, we can see that, and we appreciate it. So we'll listen to this as we go out into the break. It's, uh, she's talking about the increase in illegal border crossings. It's number three. Over the last 10 years, there has been a 1,700% increase in asylum claims, resulting in asylum backlog today in our country of 600,000 cases. Since 2013, the United States has admitted more than half a million illegal immigrant minors and family units from Central America, most of whom today are at large in the United States. At the same time, large criminal organizations such as MS-13 have violated, violated our borders and gained a deadly foothold within the United States. This entire crisis, just to be clear, is not new. Uh, it's been occurring and expanded over many decades. But currently, it is the exclusive product of loopholes in our federal immigration laws that prevent illegal immigrant minors and family members from being detained and removed to their home countries. In other words, these loopholes create a functionally open border. Apprehension without detention and removal is not border security. And uh, what else you got? <laughs> what else do you have that can possibly refute what she just said? I, I need to know because I'm, I'm one of those people who I like to gather as much information as I can before I lay down my verdict about what is or what isn't. As it stands right now, she's winning hands down in this argument. The reporters look like loons and she's bringing down the facts. I need more. I need her to tell more. Tell me more about what's going on in this country. Straight up, the numbers, government statistics. I'll take it all day. And keep your emotions. That does nothing for me. When we get back, we have our first guest, David French, right here on Stacey on the Right. My favorite things to do in Israel is take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. We'll be taking our annual tour of Israel in March of 2019, but it's time to sign up. We have a lot of folks sign up early, and last year, in fact, we filled up several months in advance. So for all the information on this trip to Israel, a bucket list trip for most people, 
go to the website twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. Or for a free brochure, call us at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your phone number. We'll be flying direct from the States to Tel Aviv and then begin our tour in Jerusalem of Israel. We hope you can join us in 2019. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. When our children were small, they had a hamster. That little critter was quite rambunctious. Truthfully, Karen and I found him a bit of a nuisance. He would get out of his cage and the search was on. We always found him, usually by luring him with food. But the last time he got out of the cage, we weren't so fortunate. We looked everywhere, and I mean everywhere. Mr. Hamster had seemingly disappeared. Then after a few days, we noticed a foul odor in the house. We followed the scent and unfortunately found Mr. Hamster. He had expired. That's a bit of a parable concerning sin. Sin, too, emits an odor that's impossible to cover up. Just like the hamster was dead for a while, and then the stench told the truth about his condition, it can be concealed for a while, but eventually the odor will lead to the source. There are always consequences to sin, And I mean always. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, there's a famous line that has been quoted time and time again. Verse 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Now here's the line. And be sure your sin will find you out. God is not ignorant or blind. And whenever we live in sin, we treat God as if he is stupid, as if somehow we're going to get away with this. No, the text says to be sure your sin will find you out. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't go another minute hiding this sin. Come clean so you can experience his cleansing, his love, and his forgiveness. He wants to deliver you and cause you to live in the light of freedom and joy. So let's get rid of the sin and start living the way God intended for us to live. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, who is uh, an, an amazing writer and a, a thought leader for conservatism over at National Review, nationalreview.com. And although we don't always agree on every little thing, um, I think it's it's so important to read his thoughts and his work and and to kind of absorb his take on things, which helps orient us. It, it keeps us grounded. And from the Christian perspective, especially, it's important for us to have these voices out there who are unashamed and unafraid to advocate. Uh, so it's my pleasure to welcome David French, senior writer for National Review Online, veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Thank you for coming on today, sir. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, and also please say hello to your wife who <laughs> I'm friends with on Facebook. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah, she's, she's awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you have a piece up at nationalreview.com, Donald Trump, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, classic hubris. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's this interesting thing that happens, um, with almost every president, and, and 
it goes something like this. I mean, look, if you're, if you're going to win election to president of the United States, that's one of the most grueling, difficult tasks that any person can accomplish. Uh, you're, in some way, you're going to be a person of unique abilities, unique talent, and also, this is very critical, unique self-belief, that you have the answer, that you are the person who can uh, – you are the person – who can solve problems that other people could not solve. And this is, you know, part of this confidence, I think, is, is necessary for running. Uh, part of this confidence is necessary for taking on difficult challenges. But it also can be really dangerous. And how it's dangerous is for year after year, president after president, walks into a situation with North Korea, or, you know, if you and even moving beyond North Korea, problems in the Middle East, for example, and says, I've got it. I've got this. All my previous, all the previous guys were, um, were off base, were limited, were misguided. I've got this. And one of the things you have to realize, and people have to realize, is that uh, a lot of our foreign foes understand this dynamic and exploit it. Uh, they exploit the confidence that each administration has in its own ability to negotiate a deal. And that's one of my biggest concerns going into the, uh, the, you know, the aftermath of the Korea summit is that the Trump confidence in his deal-making is leading him astray, and that, in fact, what's happening is he is being exploited in much the same way lots of other presidents have been exploited. So, and, and I understand what you just explained there, and your caution is, in, in my opinion, it's we need some of that, uh, you know. We, so there's exuberance about the fact that they had a meeting and that the re, the relations have been normalized to a degree that we really haven't ever seen before. But then there's also the cautious, you know. I've I've seen people who are writing, it's the end of America, you know, we're going to have a depression, you know, you get get your supplies ready. This is going to be there's going to be an EMP. <laughs> I've seen that, but I've also I, what I'm appreciating is those who are hewing to the middle, not because they're wishy-washy, but because they're saying, look, this could very well be just another dupe by, on the part of the Koreans. They're really great at this. The North Koreans have done this to president after president after president. So, David, what would you like to see happen from here out? Like, obviously, we can't change the past. They've met. Promises have been made. But what would you like to see the president do going forward to kind of ensure that he's not being taken down a rabbit hole? Well, one of the key things is no more concessions. So we, I, the next concession I want to see is something verifiable from North Korea and meaningful. So, uh, for example, Trump has pledged to cancel military exercises, and that was a pledge that took our own military, and it took, uh, it took our own military by surprise, and it also took uh, the South Koreans by surprise. Uh, that's a big, big concession. Now, he can undo it. But we should not see one more concession until we see something from North Korea that's very meaningful. And the, the show they put on of blowing up, you know, test tunnels was not meaningful. I mean, that was, that was fake news if I've ever seen fake news. <laughs> so what, what I would like to see is something better than what the Obama administration did in Iran. In Iran, with Iran, they created, for example, an inspections regime, but it was inadequate. So let's see real inspections. Let's see real verification of pledges to dismantle nuclear weapons and missile technology. And so those are things that I think it's got to get concrete because what we have seen time and time again, we have seen actually in the past more specific pledges of disarmament than what North Korea gave Trump. 
more detailed ple- uh, pledges of disarmament that when North Korea gave Trump, and then no no disarmament. In fact, North Korea has just continued to arm. And so uh, what we need to see is something very, very concrete. And until that occurs, we should not give another concession. The, the military exercises concession is significant. Uh, North Korea has been trying to get that out of the United States for a really long time, and Trump just gave it to him. Now, he can change it. He can reverse that call, but he just gave it to him. And North Koreans uh, didn't even, you know, if some reporting is to believe, it came as a surprise even to the North Koreans that they got that. So that's the kind of thing that makes me a little bit suspicious that we're getting played. Hmm. Well, I I was a little surprised to hear him uh, characterize them as provocative because provocative or not, they are our purview to do with our ally as all the way up to the border. I mean, we can do whatever military exercises we'd like to do. And whether you find them provoking or not is irrelevant. We we are the United States. We have a military and we if we want to play war games. We'll play war games and we'll play them right up to your border. And what are you going to do about it? And in the past, you've done not much, just like he tested missiles and there was not much we could do about it. We can play war games. But we all know that President Donald Trump has that kind of an attitude. Devil may care. We are America. You know, take take it or leave it. But in this instance, he appears to be softening his rhetoric and his posturing in order to get something out of Kim Jong-un. I agree with you about the inspections and making it something we need to get as far away from President Obama's lead. The example that he set with Iran as we possibly can, because that was a largely failed effort uh, that has us now. We have no agreement with them. But what what do you like? So when you look at North Korea and they, you know, they, they blew up that test tunnel. So what would you say that there's a certain number of missiles that they have to turn over or destroy or like, how does that even get started? Cause it feels like now they're in no man's land. It's a good, it's a better place than this time last year when he was testing rockets, but it's definitely not a place where we, we know the way forward. There seems to be no clear cut path forward. Right. There isn't, we're kind of an uncharted territory here. I mean, what, what you want to see next is, and this is something that Pompeo is working on. My phone. Uh, the Secretary of State's working on is he is looking at make, creating a, a what you would call a real agreement, uh, something that sets timetables, targets, goals, inspection regimes. So you're wanting to see flesh put on the bones. Uh, that's what you're wanting to see, and that's what always the devil's been in the details. Uh, and the North Koreans again are <laughs> really experienced at this. You know, one of the even going back to the Korean War, one of the sad realities of the Korean War is. Once peace negotiations started, negotiating with the North Koreans and the Chinese for, as well was so difficult that the war dragged on for month after month after month with basically the terms of the armistice really pretty much known. It was just the, the final sticking points took so long to settle that thousands and thousands and thousands of people died while the war raged on. So they know how to wait this out. They know how to make it difficult. Um, they know how to uh, turn this into something that where they get a lot of benefit and don't get in, give anything in return. And, and here's one thing I would say to those people who say, well, I do think they'll give up their nuclear weapons. Why would they? So look at it from their perspective. They test ballistic missiles that can reach the U.S. They test, uh, for the first time, test nuclear weapons that are far stronger than, say, for example, the weapons that blew up Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And... They, what happens next? They get a summit with the Chinese premier. 
They get uh, the eyes of the world on them in South Korea. They have a summit in South Korea. Then they get a private audience with the most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States, all because they have nukes. The nukes have put them on center stage. You remove the nukes from Korea, and what are they? They're like a ninth-rate country (laughs) with a really big army full of aging equipment. They're just not a factor without their nukes. And, And their whole ideology is that they are a superior culture and indeed a superior race, and the nukes that they've developed largely on their own are proof of that. So why do they give that up? And that, that's the question that has not been able, I've not seen anyone satisfactorily answer. Well, I don't think they really want to give them up, but I think if, if they were able to get something out of it that they couldn't get on their own, namely modernization of their country, Um, normalized relations with the United States, and it were done in a way that literally they have to be drug along the process because, as you said, they may be completely diluted. They obviously don't have a culture that's better than ours. I mean, they don't even have a functioning society. They don't have electricity uh, over the entire country at night. All of the people who live there don't eat. I don't mean like homelessness in the United States. I mean, literally just millions and millions of people who just don't have any food to eat, and they could be eating, but they don't have a functional society. So whether they're deluded into thinking that their country rocks or not, the fact is, is the people who live there know it doesn't, right? So they, they do have something that they could get out of it. And Kim Jong-un could be the one dictator out of all of them who, if he made some concessions, could bring their culture forward by leaps and bounds, changes that everyone would notice. Um, yeah, the, so the, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a, that's true. One of the big problems, however, is the so there's this fundamental ideology of North Korea, and that ideology is Jush, J-U-C-H-E, and essentially says, and it, it, it's taken the place of religion in North Korean life, and it is that uh, it's an ideology of radical self-reliance and radical cultural and racial superiority. And central to it is the notion that the Korean Peninsula will be united in its entirety under North Korean control. I mean, so we're talking about a people who've been raised for generations to believe that regardless of their hardships, they're a superior people, and that uh, regardless of whatever international agreements may be made, they're destined to rule all of North Korea, I mean, all of Korea. And so it's very difficult to take an entire culture that has been steeped in one direction. And now Kim Jong-un has an enormous amount of power, of course, but he's also a product of the same ideology. And so it's very difficult. And that's why, that's why I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I don't believe a word the North Koreans say. The only thing I believe are actions. That's what I believe. I do not believe a single word. I only believe actions. And if those actions are substantial, then I will be optimistic. But until those actions are substantial, I don't think we should think in any way, shape, or form that any serious progress has been made. Oh, I don't know. I, I totally get what you're saying about the Jush. I, and, you know, totalitarianism and the way it can take over the minds of its adherents is well documented. But I, I so I, there's, a, there's a couple of problems with them believing they're going to take over the entire peninsula. And that is that South Korea is very well armed. It's and and the people down there actually do live very well and do have a superior culture. So even in the face of those truths, this would be the way that they would make this go on forever as the hermit kingdom, even after, because the other thing that I don't understand about the way this has happened in past, 
um, and which kind of gives me hope for the future dealing with President Trump and Kim Jong-un is that Kim Jong-un, I thought he was educated there, but he wasn't. He was educated in a Swiss school. So he's seen capitalism. He's seen a truly developed nation before. He knows what it looks like. It's not like he's never seen it for himself. Right, right. And, but that implies he cares one whit about his people enjoying those benefits. I mean, that, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things about the North Korean versus South Korean uh, mindset, South Koreans view their people as, an, uh, as a uh, precious asset to be protected. The North Koreans view their people as an asset to be expended. And so you saw that difference in the tactics of the Korean War, for example, the North Koreans would attack in human waves. Uh, what they lacked for in, in, man, in material, they would try to make up in manpower. And so this has been a, a North Korean view for a very, very long time. And now, if Kim Jong-un has some sort of change of heart where he actually cares one bit about his people, that would be glorious. <laughs> but it would be a major departure from the past. And the other thing that I, I, I think um, it's very important for Americans to realize, we're, we're so locked into our four-year cycle of presidential elections, we, we often forget how to play the long game. And the North Koreans, the only game the North Koreans play is the long game. And if they can induce America to leave the Korean Peninsula, to, because that's their version of denuclearization, their version of denuclearization is America leaving the Korean Peninsula, then South Korea is on its own. And South Korea is very strong, but there are, re- there are reasons why we keep troops in South Korea. And it's not because this is just some sort of relic of the Cold War past. It's because it's a very real sense that but for the presence of American troops, North Koreans might try again. Um, they might believe that they could beat the South. They know they can't beat the South and the United States, but they might believe they could beat the South, even with the South having superior technology. And, and that's, a, that's a real concern. And, and one of the things is that the Americans begin to retreat in their commitment to defending the South, then the South then begins to be incentivized to perhaps pursue nuclear weapons itself. Um, a lot of this could be destabilizing if we're not very, very, very careful. Hmm. Well, my hope is that some of the advisors around the president are thoughtful and well-informed and, and are keeping all of these very salient points that you've made uh, in front of the president so that these negotiations can be fruitful. I'm just hoping for the best. You know, it seems like it's such a hopeless situation, but there has to be a resolution of some sort. And I hope that we can find it. It's been great to chat with you. Thank you for joining in today, David. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. It's David French, senior writer for National Review Online and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When you help others, you're actually helping yourself. As coach of the Indianapolis Colts, I got to know my players well. We became like a family. I heard about their personal family problems. 
Being a coach was more than winning. It was also about caring for others. I can remember Tony telling me about his players. We thought it a privilege that God gave Tony a platform where he could pray with his players and their families or just sit down and talk with them. Sometimes the players' families needed someone to watch their kids when they went to counseling. We helped with that too. Helping others can be one of the most fulfilling roles in life. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. My name's Shane. Abusing alcohol and drugs made me so hopeless I wanted to end my life. Thankfully, Teen Challenge showed me how to start my life all over again without drugs. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. As if college students aren't already totally triggered, George Washington University hosted a workshop for students and faculty on the unmerited perks and favors showered upon white Christians, which are unavailable to everyone else. The Multicultural Student Services Center wants to teach minority students they are dupes. Meaningless buzzwords like ally, unconscious bias, and microaggression were employed for this purpose. The Bible is very clear that we are indeed privileged to be the beneficiaries of Jesus Christ's great work on the cross. We are also called to suffer with him, which is a privilege. Christianity is open to everyone, period. Wouldn't it be great if GWU got out of the business of oppressor talk and back to teaching higher ed? Because that is what the parents of those students are paying tuition for. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Number eight. Number eight. Learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. And finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood, do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. God bless you. Please get home safely. Thank you. Okay, welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Uh, we're winding down hour one of the show and hour two, we're going to speak to Joseph Tartakovsky and uh, about his new book. Uh, we so excited to have that information from D David French. And I know in the comments, some people were mentioning, oh, you know, is that David French from anti-Trump National Review Online? 
Um, yeah, there are some definite uh, negative voices over at National Review towards the president. But it doesn't mean we discount the work that's being done there or the fact that we can learn a lot from each other. And I think, you know, I was speaking with someone this morning and it was kind of a getting to know you session conference call. And during the course of that call, this really just godly woman, Christian woman, was talking about the level of polarization that she'd seen politically. And she's not openly political. She's not in politics. She's a business person. And as we were talking and she was, we, we were discussing a number of different topics. And I, I kind of mentioned, you know, when, when people who aren't as familiar with my work say that they'd like me to speak, I have to kind of give them the, you know, Surgeon General's warning, which is I'm on the right. And that is very polarizing. And it can be very upsetting for people when they encounter me and I present my views in a very unemotional, factual, direct way. And when they get upset and become triggered and begin to hurl insults, it is further enraging that I'm not going to engage and start screaming and yelling and losing my stuffing or, or even insulting them back. Because it's, it's just one of the tenets of people who will insult you to your face They really want to be insulted back. They want to engage in that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be insulting you. And so there's a a, a certain place that you just go to if you've been doing this for any length of time where you realize that the person who is yelling at you or jabbing their finger in your face is looking for a reaction because that validates their feelings. And so as we talked about that and the the level of polarization that has occurred, she, she really was very upfront. She said, I just... I think that we have to find our way back to being able to talk to each other, even if we disagree. And she's right. In fact, that's what God calls us to do. He, he, God never called us to unfriend every person we don't like on Facebook. And full disclosure, that's an area where I have a problem because I just don't want to be bothered with people. I don't like fighting. I don't like arguing and disagreeing. And I don't like it when people want to carry it on to the nth degree over and over and over again. So my reaction is usually just to disengage. But God really calls us to do the opposite, which is to speak the truth in love and to receive the recompense from the person who's, you know, doling out all of the, the negativity so that we can try to come back into right relationship. And there are times where you simply have to disengage and there are people that you have to disengage from. But if you do it incorrectly, you end up with bitterness and rancor and anger and that lasts and spills over into other areas of your life. And it's so it's so depressing and disgusting when someone has left you with basically a huge bag of their upset and their garbage that they've dumped off on you and you have to try to figure out what to do with it. And so, you know, you're, you're like, oh, Lord, please help me with this. You, can you take this bird? I mean, what do, what do I do with all this? Now I'm mad. I'm upset. My blood pressure's up. I was having a great day. Now I'm, you know, now I'm looking around to see if, is it going to rain? Is it going to snowstorm? Is it going to hail? What bad other thing can occur because of this interaction? And so it's a, it's a toughie. This isn't the easy subject. This isn't the one where you just say, oh, just give it to the Lord. Those kinds of platitudes sound fantastic, but they don't work out immediately. It's not like an, it's an absolute fix where you just say, oh, I'm giving this to the Lord, and then you move on. Now, we can grow in Christ and develop to a place where that is easy for us. But for most of us, myself included, it's just a struggle. And we just have to try to figure out where God wants us to go with that particular person and that relationship and try 
to maintain our cool and, and, you know, prayerfully move forward. I do think no matter what happens, whether people continue to disengage or whether they continue to fight and scrap in the street like, you know, barnyard dogs, we have to find our way back to being Americans because one of the things that David French was inadvertently sharing with, with us just then in that interview last segment, totalitarian countries, they're not, so North Koreans aren't currently fighting with each other about two different political parties. They may be starving. They may have parasitical worms. They may be unhealthy. They realize they're poor. If they could, they'd leave the country. But they're united. And if Kim Jong-un gave the order tomorrow for them to run out with whatever military apparatus they have and use their physical bodies to overrun South Korea, they would do it. Now, am I saying that's the kind of unyielding, unthinking support we want from Americans? I would never say that, not only because it's wrong, but because we know that wouldn't work here. Americans are too individualized and too used to freedom and liberty to ever be like that. But in some ways, we are seeing the kind of single-minded totalitarianism running and tossing your body over the gate no matter what happens to you in the liberals' desire to force everyone to believe the same thing. Look at what happened with Jack Dorsey of Twitter the other, uh, it was last week. He went to Chick-fil-A and enjoyed a sandwich and he loved it and he shared his boost because I don't, I don't have the Chick-fil-A app. Y'all, I'm old school when it comes to fast food. I do not want to pay for Starbucks with an app. I don't, want, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want to go in and hand over cash and buy my little bit of food and, you know, think about my, how this impacts my budget and move on. Well, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, shared whatever boost it is they do online when you buy something. And he talked about how good the sandwich was. And the leftist Twitter mob ate him alive, forcing him to eventually admit that if he loved LGBT people, he couldn't eat Chick-fil-A. He apologized for eating it and enjoying it. He said he especially couldn't believe he'd made such a horrible decision during Pride Month, which, by the way, y'all, it's Pride Month. I don't know what they have to be proud of, but that's what they're doing. And so they, you know, this, this was basically the liberals letting everybody else who's much smaller than Jack, much less powerful than Jack, look, you don't get on the wrong side of us. We don't like Chick-fil-A and you're not allowed to eat it. And you're not allowed to eat it and enjoy it for sure. If you're going to eat it, you better slink around in dark corners and eat it and enjoy it silently. But if you're talking about it and acting as if it's normal, then we're going to take you down. Now imagine the hubris of a group of people for a second. Let's just detach ourselves from the story and, you know, kind of clear your mind for a second. Imagine someone that you do not know eating at a restaurant and you getting so upset about it that you and a horde of other people that you do not know tweet that person repetitively until that person that you still don't know, haven't met, and probably will never meet. And I'm saying that as someone, Jack Dorsey actually grew up in St. Louis. And he returns here. He comes here and he, he did a TED Talk here. He's spoken here before to different organizations. His family still lives here. I have a better chance of bumping into Jack Dorsey than the tens of thousands of people who tweeted him into submission ever have. Yet that's what they did. They actually spent time out of their day that they could have spent gardening or drinking water, 
or checking their Fitbits. They could have been at Chick-fil-A themselves secretly, furtively enjoying some chicken strips or a chicken salad or a lemon, uh, lemon ice. It's this, it's this wonderful vanilla thing that they infuse with lemonade and it's amazing. I can't eat it anymore because I'm low on carbs, but still, these people spent valuable time during the day that they can't get back tweeting this man into submission. And so, you know, you, you think about that and you're like, I mean, honestly, just take a step back. This is the world we live in. If you eat something other strangers don't like, they're willing to tweet you into submission with curse words and threats. And he, the CEO of Twitter, didn't have the backbone enough to say, I'll eat what I want. If I want to eat Chick-fil-A every day, three times a day, like that Subway guy did, I'll do it because I have the right to do that because I'm an American and this is America and I'm an American. That's what he could have said, but he didn't. That's the world we're living in. So, you know, I, I have that clip that we're coming in from the break of Chris Pratt, who he's a famous actor. You know, he was in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and he's been in so many different films. Not all of them have been my favorite, but I love the Guardians of the Galaxy one where he's like this really positive guy. Um, and it turns out, you know, he's he's been, he's, I could think, currently going through a divorce or it's recently ended. It was devastating for him. And it sounds like he's found his way back home. He's praying and he's advocating for that. But I thought it was so special that he took the MTV Music Awards, which is, I mean, MTV has turned into the devil on, on your screens. And we don't have it at our house. We have never had MTV piped into this house. Um, when it was on our cable package, I actually blocked it so that the kids couldn't accidentally find it. And he's at the MTV Music Awards, and it's nothing but teenagers and young adults there. And he talks to them. There's another bit that he goes into, like, this other, this, this other topic that isn't appropriate for radio. It wasn't wasn't vulgar, but it was just inappropriate, I felt, for the radio, for, for the program. But it's this nine rules for life, according to Chris Pratt. And he says, believe in God. And then he shares that bit of, of the gospel about learning how to pray. And at, at one point when I was listening to him, it was so exciting and so kind of weird and surreal to hear him talk like that. I thought, you know, what's interesting is that he has to share this because so many kids in that MTV audience have never heard it before. Their parents don't teach them to pray. They don't go to church. They're largely agnostic. They have no idea what, you know, they're like, wow, what's he talking about? Learn how to pray to who? Learn how to pray to what? What's he talking about? And he shared it. He took his time there to share those nine rules instead of talking about how awesome he was or thanking his co-hosts or, or any, any, or, you know, other actors in the movies he's in. He really, he did an amazing thing there. And you could hear people in the audience kind of screaming out, woo, you know, like what? This is awesome. And we need him to do that. But we also have to find a way back for ourselves to talk to each other, to disagree with each other, and to still treat each other like human beings. I was listening to another radio host this morning because I was doing many, many different things. It's been such a busy day. And he was talking about how the pressure from the left has uh, determined that so many people will no longer fight for what they believe. And that's especially true in academia where you have all of these professors who they know the truth and they believe it, but they'll never fight back because they know fighting back and saying, no, I won't call someone a weird, like people can't make up their genders in my class. 
you can't tell me to stay home from work because I'm white. The people fighting back that against that kind of stuff find that they're ostracized. And if you've experienced it, I, I certainly have here locally from certain corners, it really is disconcerting because it feels a lot like high school where you tick somebody off in high school and then the mean girls decide you're now you're no longer just a nobody, you're a target and you're you know getting laughed at in the lunchroom and things like that. And you're thinking, what's happening to me? It's like that, only it's surreal because you're a grown person driving your own car, you're married, you have kids, you have a mortgage, and you really think to yourself, why do I care what these people think about me? But then you realize you do care. And then you have to fight it. You, you either have to make a decision. I'm either going to care and I'm going to shut up about this. I'm never going to fight back or I'm going to fight back. And that's another group of people that will think I'm some kind of demon because of whatever the thing is that they hate. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Now, I have this audio from Elizabeth Harrington. We'll, we'll listen to it in hour two. We'll come back in with it about her talking about the Trump policy at the border and it being a deterrent. But I want to encourage you right now on this beautiful, bright, sunny day where you probably have a million things going on in your life with your spouse and your kids and your work and everything else, that you would pray about where you need to be courageous in your life. That there may be some place in your life where your example, you standing up for the truth, you being courageous, can make all the difference to someone who's watching your life and really taking their cues from you and you don't know it. If we don't start standing up, if we don't know who we are in Christ and start walking in that, we're going to see more and more of this deviancy become the norm. More and more Twitter mobs forcing people to apologize for eating chicken. More senseless nonsense accepted as reality while the truth goes silently away. God has more for us. He's got the backbone. He's got the truth. All we have to do is ask. Think about that. And we'll be back with hour two right after this. 